Good morning. Let me welcome you to Pittman Park Online. I'm Bill Bagwell, the senior pastor of Pittman Park. And I'm Jay Williams, associate pastor. We're glad to be with you today. Uh, this is another Sunday and another chance for us to lift up our praise to God. Uh, as we enter into this time of worship, it may be that some of you are thinking about last Sunday and the wonderful celebration of Easter that we had together. Uh, truly, it was quite an event to share. Uh, but today, it would do us all well to remember that as far as the church is concerned, every Sunday is a little Easter. And so, Jay, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. The church is learning how to be the church in a new way. And especially, we're learning how to connect with each other online. There are several groups within our church uh, that are meeting for prayer and some that are meeting for study. Our children and youth are getting together our youth meet on Sunday evenings, and our children and youth have small groups on Wednesday evening. If you know of someone who is interested in being a part of this, I hope that you'll get in contact with Derek Harrison. Uh, he is our Director of Children and Youth Ministry at Pittman Park. All of these meetings are, uh, are hosted by a, an app that can be placed on your computer or on your tablet or on your smartphone. Uh, it's called Zoom Meetings, and so download that app, and uh, we will let you know when these meetings are occurring. We've added one meeting uh, to uh, the roster just this past week. On Wednesday nights, we're gathering together at 5.15 for what's called a love feast. John Wesley, uh, when he was in Savannah years and years ago, uh, met with a group of Moravians. These were German Christians that had come across um, sailing the Atlantic with him uh, to set up a church in Savannah as well. And so as he worshiped with them, he realized that they were sharing together in something that was very, very special, something that was a sharing unlike what he had experienced before, akin to communion, but different still. Uh, we are sharing in a shortened version of this online on Wednesdays. It only lasts 20 minutes. Uh, we especially are making this family-friendly. In fact, Jay, your family participated this past week. And we really enjoyed it. We really did because uh, we got to enjoy it with our family, but also with our larger church family. And, and it was really great to see everybody's faces and to see their spaces. And in a way, it felt even more intimate than, than if we were face-to-face. It, it was a, a wonderful gathering, and in fact, it was fascinating to see how many of you joined in. I didn't get a correct count on that, but it was a large number from Pittman Park that joined, and we hope that you'll be a part of that this next week. It especially is child-friendly, not just family-friendly. In fact, when we share the story of Christ, we have uh, decided that we will tell the story and engage the children, particularly in questions after we share the story uh, that we get from the Bible. Today, as we prepare our hearts to move into a time of worship, uh, let me say once again that it's good to be together with you. Let us tune our minds and our spirits toward God, the very nature of Christ that is present with us at this time. Join me in prayer as we enter this time of worship. Dear Merciful Father, thank you so much for this day and the opportunity to be in Christian fellowship with one another. We ask that you help us feel your loving presence, soften our hearts, and prepare our minds 
so that we may receive your precious word and be blessed by it. In your holy name, amen. reading is from Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 14 a letter from Paul this translation is from the life application study Bible so we have continued praying for you ever since we first heard about you 
We ask God to give you a complete understanding of what He wants to do in your lives, and we ask Him to make you wise with spiritual wisdom. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and you will continually do good, kind things for others. All the while, you will learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with His glorious power so that you will have all the patience and endurance you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father who has enabled you to share the inheritance that belongs to God's holy people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. God has purchased our freedom with his blood and has forgiven us all of our sins. Let me first thank Jill for reading our scripture for us today. It is a powerful season, isn't it? Last Sunday, when we got together for worship online, uh, it was a wonderful thing to be able to see all of the people that were involved. Many of you participated in some way by sending in a video of yourself uh, shouting, Christ is risen, and responding, He is risen indeed, or reading a portion of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, what a wonderful delight it was to see the larger picture of where the church is and how the church is involved in worship. We are still together as God's people, even if we are separated by the distance uh, that has been put between us because of this disease. As we uh, think about last Sunday's uh, sharing together, uh, particularly I want to say a word of thanks to Tina and to Mark for blessing us with beautiful music and to our choir uh, that offered their beautiful voices through archives that we have of our services. And to uh, Allison and to Brock for sharing what has become another favorite song of mine from the uh, fellowship hall and from the contemporary worship there. Uh, Ain't no grave, what a wonderful thought that is, that we participate in this resurrection. Not only is this something uh, that we look and marvel at in Christ our Lord, but the beautiful thing is our participation in what Christ has done within the world. As I remember Chelsea's admonition to us at the very end of the service last week, she implored that we would be an Easter people. And so I ask you that question, are you being an Easter people today? This scripture that is before us reminds us of the many letters, in fact, 21 letters that are written by the apostles that are near the end of the Bible. And each of those letters is an expression to a particular community. In fact, we are overhearers of those letters. We are reading someone else's mail as we listen to the words, especially from this letter to the church, the people at Colossae. Paul had never been to Colossae. In fact, it was his friend in ministry, Epaphras, that told him about the church. Epaphras had started that congregation. And Paul listened very carefully to hear the report from Epaphras that the people there in Colossae were doing very wonderfully well. 
and yet they had some challenges ahead of them. No doubt some struggles that already Epaphras could see on the horizon. Paul was overwhelmed with his love for these people. And you can pick this up even in the first verses of this letter that he wrote to them. For he said, just before what was read already this morning, in the third verse, it says, In our prayers for you we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. What a beautiful thing it is, Paul's love for the early church. Paul was in prison when he wrote these words. He wasn't concentrating on the struggle that he had himself, but on the beautiful way in which these people were being drawn in to the Easter story, to be Easter people following a risen Lord. It was spiritual wisdom that Paul was so interested in instilling in the early church. And he wrote specifically to the Colossians about this. In fact, as he shared his heart with them, these are the words that he used. We have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God, may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father. This is spiritual wisdom for sure. That we would be focused on fruits and that somehow our lives would go beyond ourselves. We must be strong to endure. Particularly today, we need to be aware of this. For we are on new ground. I've never witnessed the church having to get together by way of online broadcast. And I doubt if you have either. COVID-19 is a strong power amidst us. And yet it will not rule who we are called to be even with the sickness that it inflicts, even with the death that it brings into our communities, even with the damage that it does its economy and the difficulty that businesses are suffering even now, even with the isolation that comes in the midst of our dealing with this disease, it will not control our lives because Christ is Lord. In fact, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Paul goes on to say to this early church that Christ has rescued us from the power of darkness. Those are powerful words. Have you ever felt enveloped by darkness and all of the fear that goes with that? The danger even if there is not fear, the sense of danger that the disciples must have felt when they watched Jesus die upon the cross. How was it that the darkness was controlling them? 
And then the excitement of sensing the anticipation that Jesus was alive, how it began to change and mold their lives and their way of thinking. Have you thought to yourself about how dark it was as Paul traveled that road to Damascus and how Christ's light broke in upon him and dispelled the darkness that was a part of his oppressive life. Paul is praying for these early disciples that they too might be touched by Christ's light. Our darkness, those things that are shadows in the midst of life right now, need not define all of life for us. Christ brings light. I can remember that a bicycle was my mode of transportation for years and years when I was growing up, even into high school. That was the way in which I got around town. We were living in Cuthbert, Georgia, and I can remember one evening I was headed to choir practice. I was in, I think, the 10th grade, and I jumped on my bicycle. It was already dark outside. And I went down the edge of the road. Usually I was traveling along the edge of the streets. It's not very busy there in Cuthbert. But on this one occasion, I had gotten onto the sidewalk. And I was blazing. I'm sure in my mind I was going 60 miles an hour. I passed a tree that I knew was there. But I did not know that that tree had spread its limb directly across my path and that limb caught me in the chest and immediately knocked me to the ground. My breath was knocked out of me and I was nearly unconscious from the experience not knowing what had happened because I was traveling in the dark. Fortunately there were a couple of persons that saw this happen and they raced to my side and helped me get up and they were constantly asking, are you okay? Are you okay? And I said, with your help, I am okay. When I was to my senses once again, I began to think of how dangerous living in darkness can be. How unsettling it can be, especially when something happens that's unexpected. All of us have been caught off guard by COVID-19. None of us knew that this was about to enter into our world, our neck of the woods. You and I are called to live in the light. Paul has said he has rescued us from the power of darkness. We have been rescued out of that place of sin, that place that needs his redemption, those things that catch us off guard and leave us in such need. One of the stories that I treasure is the one that's told of Robert Louis Stevenson, that wonderful novelist of Scottish fame. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, as he was a child, it is said that he would sometimes give his mother a hard time in not being ready for bed when she was ready to put him to bed. And on one occasion, she looked around for him upstairs and could not find where she had sent him in order that she might come and put him to bed. When she searched the house and finally went downstairs, 
she found him standing at the window just behind the curtains as he was looking out onto the street in front of their house. And she spoke to him sternly and she said, Robert, what are you doing? And he turned to look back at her after having spent about five minutes watching the lamplighter walk the streets and light the lamps. And he said to his mother, I'm watching a man poke holes in the darkness. Paul was trying to poke holes in the darkness. You and I receive the message of Christ as his light in the world. We are called to shine forth the glory of Christ, the risen Lord. Let him be alive within us and shine forth this day. Good morning. Uh, this morning, I'm reminded of a story. Uh, when I was living in a small town just north of here, I remember seeing an unusual sight one day, and it was a, it was a beautiful black and white Harley-Davidson. It had incredible lines. It was a gorgeous piece of machinery. Uh, what made it unusual was that uh, I saw the person that owned the motorcycle, and they weren't riding it. They were literally standing behind the motorcycle and, and picking the back tire of the motorcycle up and, and pushing it down the road. And I couldn't help but to think, you're not doing this right. And, and it occurred to me that he probably was in trouble. So I went and I offered to help. And, and I said, you know, I, I can't help but notice that you might be having some trouble. And he said, yeah. He said, I, I put an additive in my bike and it locked it up. This morning, I want to talk to you about what it means to add some things into the machinery so that it no longer works. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a series on the book of Colossians, otherwise known as Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about Colossae because I believe in doing so, it's going to help us understand this book and how it applies to our lives. Colossae was a small town. It was a small town on a huge trade route called the Great Persian Road. The Great Persian Road started at the Red Sea and traveled through modern-day Turkey all the way up to the to the west coast at Ephesus on the Mediterranean Sea. And about 100 miles inland, there was this town called Colossae. Now, Paul never lived in Colossae, so how do we end up with this letter to the Colossian church uh, when Paul never lived there? Well, Paul did live in Ephesus for about three years, and during that time, people from all over would come to hear Paul preach, and one of those people was a, a fellow by the name of Epaphras, who went and gave his life to Christ underneath Paul's ministry and returned back to Colossae, uh, Colossae and, uh, and established what we now know as the Colossian church. Now, at this point in time, Paul is not in Ephesus anymore. This is 60 to 62 AD. He is now in a Roman prison, and Epaphras is no longer at Colossae. He has gone to visit Paul, and he shared with Paul what's going on in the church. And, and he said that, you know, as far as faith and hope and love, you know, these people in this church were, were getting after it. It was, it was happening. There were roots that were really happening. It was an established church, but they were beginning to experience some trouble. Because not only was this great Persian road really good at, a, at, at being able to transfer goods and services, but there were also philosophies and ideas that were being established and being exchanged there. And as a result, the church at, at Colossae was beginning to, to, to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point where uh, 
the gospel was no longer the gospel. It was not functioning as it should. So Paul pens a letter. And Paul's letter was an attempt to refocus the Colossian church on the fact that Jesus Christ is the way, the only way, the truth, and the life. And as I begin to read this, this passage, the first thing that, that dawns on me is that Paul begins his letters, almost all of his letters, the same way. He begins thanking God for the people that he's talking to. In Romans 1 it says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. In 1 Corinthians 1, 4, it says, I always thank God for you because of the grace given to you in Jesus Christ. In Philippians 1, 3, it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And in Colossians 1, 3, right here, this passage that we're talking about, or the book we're talking about, he says, we always thank God, our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, we always give thanks to God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. In 2 Thessalonians, it says, we always ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so. And in Philemon, it says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. And I believe from the very beginning, Paul starts out in a way that will help the Colossian church refocus. Thanking God always brings clarity. Paul begins this passage with giving God credit for good things. And I'm going to tell you, when, when the world gets crazy and, and there become more voices than we can pay attention to and, and things are just so chaotic, stopping to thank God goes a long, long way because it begins to, to, to cause us to see what's essential, what's important, who's our source, and what's just distraction. But he specifically thanks God for them and for the way that they've grown into faith. In this, I believe that Paul does two things. He reflects the heart of God. You know, God values you. And, and Paul didn't just thank God for one church. He thanked God for every church that he seemed to write to. And, and in doing so, he's saying, listen, I understand that God thinks a lot of all of you. That you are all important. And, and so Paul, in starting off by, I thank my God, as I remember you, he's actually mirroring the heart of God. This morning, I want you to hear that I don't care who you are how insignificant you feel. God values you. The second thing he does is he models the mature heart of a Christian. When he prays, uh, when he starts out, he thanks God for them, and then he begins to pray for their spiritual well-being. And I began to think, oh my, what would happen if that became a pattern in my life? That whenever I, I bumped into someone, the first thing I did was I valued them. And the second thing I did is I began to be concerned for their spiritual life and begin to pray for them to have a, a great connection with God. I believe that would help refocus my life a lot. So let's look at how Paul prays in, in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with the strength that comes from His glorious power and that you may be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The key verse there is, is the part where he says, I pray that the church bears fruit in every good work as you grow in the knowledge of God. Now, I grew up in the South, and there's not many people here that don't know something about God. 
don't know something about you know their Baptist grandmother or or their Pentecostal great grandparents or or their Methodist um, mom or dad or you know most people grew up around the church and and most people know something about God and this is not what I'm this is not what Paul's talking about the, the knowledge of God the knowledge of God that he's talking about is a knowledge that that produces fruit uh, the word that's used there is epigenosis and it's it's talking about to become thoroughly acquainted with, to know thoroughly. It's talking about experiential knowledge. In the Bible, you see it all the time where it says, and he knew her and they begot so-and-so. And I'm going to tell you, in those verses, he did not just Facebook stalk her. He did not just look at her Instagram page. He did not talk to his friends about her. He had an experience with her, and as a result, something naturally was produced. Paul's praying that we know God in a way that something naturally is produced in our lives. As a, as a pastor, people like to speak to me in, in ways that are spiritual. And, and one of the things I hear all the time is, Pastor, I started to pray for patience, but when I did, you know, my life fell apart. And so I don't pray for patience anymore. And I'll tell you that not, not that praying for patience is bad. I don't think that. I think that we should share with God anything that we, we desire. Uh, I think that he tells us to do that. But this is what I want to tell you is that, that patience is actually a fruit. And it's a fruit of knowing God. Paul here prays that the Colossians would have a close experiential relationship with God and that it would produce something good. He didn't pray that they would go to heaven. He didn't pray that they have their every earthly need met. He prayed that they would know God. And because they knew God, then these fruits would show up. He prayed that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with spiritual knowledge, spiritual wisdom, and understanding, and that it would produce a fruitful walk and fruitful work. Paul then begins to pray about what kind of fruit we can expect. And I'll tell you, I believe one of the reasons for the decline of the church is because we don't really get this concept you know, people think that by coming and, and knowing about God that these fruits are just going to show up in their lives. And when they don't, uh, then they say, you know, there's nothing to this faith walk thing. And Paul's talking about having experiences with God. That's not something that is just about studying. It's not something that is, that is mental ascent. It's not knowing a collection of facts. It's, it's walking with somebody through things. And he says when we walk with God through things and get to the place where we have experiential knowledge with God, these are the things that we can expect. To be made strong with all the strength that comes from His glorious power. And that they would be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Well, how do you get there? How do we get to the place where that kind of, of, of fruit is being produced in our lives? There's a scripture that talks about this absolutely as far as uh, any other scripture better than any that I can think of. And that is John 15, 4. And he says it like this. He says, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine... Neither can you unless you abide in me. 
what I believe that Jesus is saying in this passage is this. Live life with me. Uh, now that includes studying. That includes understanding his word. But, but in understanding his word, not reading about him in a way that is, is reading about somebody, you know, in a textbook. Read about him and talk to him about him and, and, and walk with him. And as a result, these fruits will show up in our lives. Now, knowledge is not fruit. There's a lot of us that know about God. There's a lot of us that know a lot about theology. But the only time that, that there's fruit in our life is when we walk with God through things. Now, we're in a situation right now and some of us are, are keenly aware of our lack of fruit. But this is an incredible season to walk with God. When you get stressed, abide in Him. When you get worried, don't run to something else. Abide in Him. Don't look to other philosophies. Don't look to the doctrine of believing in yourself. Don't look to any of that stuff. Look to Him. Walk with Him in this. And I will tell you on the back end of this, we will be a church that will be full of fruit. The Bible says that He's rescued us from the power of darkness and He's transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God wants to have a relationship with you. I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not even talking about knowing all the Bible stories, even though that would be a really good thing. I'm talking about God wants to wake up with you in the morning and hear your thoughts. He wants to share his thoughts with you in the word. He wants to prove to you that, that his word is true as you walk in it, as you, as you walk, hold into what God says. And in doing so, uh, there are these wonderful fruits that become produced in our lives. Peace, joy, strength. You can't muster those up. You can't make them happen. They only come one way, abiding in Christ.
Let us pray together with these words and blessings from our Franciscan brothers and sisters. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you will live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you will work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, starvation, and war so that you will reach out to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you will do what others claim cannot be done. Amen. God bless you.